Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week... We bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. A North Korean nuclear test site near the border with China has collapsed, leaving it vulnerable to radiation leaks, a team of Chinese geologists said. The team believes the collapse was the result of the detonation of the North's most powerful nuclear warhead last fall. Kim Jong-un later announced a halt of the country's nuclear weaponization program, leaving some to question whether the timing reflected a sincere desire to ease tensions on the peninsula or a more cynical ploy to facilitate goodwill during the upcoming summit with Donald Trump. XNBC The Apprentice host... President Donald Trump said that the U.S. and China will have a very good chance at making a deal on trade. The statement offers some optimism that the world's two largest economies will be able to settle their differences and avoid a trade war after weeks of simmering tensions. Trade tensions between the two countries have repeatedly escalated in recent weeks, with both sides exchanging tit-for-tat tariff measures and threats. The U.S. agreed to negotiate with China after Beijing earlier this month requested talks with Washington under the dispute settlement mechanism of the WTO. Leading Chinese travel platform Ctrip has invested in a U.S. supersonic airplane startup, Boom Technology, as the high-speed technology soars back toward commercial use. Colorado-based Boom is designing a 55-seat supersonic jetliner called the Mach 2.2, which will be introduced in 2023. The company said it will be able to travel at a speed of 1,450 miles per hour with a range of 5,000 miles. Boom is partly patterned after the now-defunct Concorde, a British-French turbojet-powered airliner and pioneer of the technology, which operated commercially from 1976 to 2003. Like Concorde, which ceased operations for economic reasons, Boom has focused on transoceanic routes, but aims to put costs in line with standard airline industry prices. Boom said the technology is now ready to be accepted by regulators and travelers. But will they settle for frozen shrimp cocktails and Zinfandel in place of caviar and champagne? Can you hear me now? 
China's smartphone market performed worse than any other major global region in the first quarter of this year, with demand down by 6% as the market suffered from saturation. The 6% decline overshadowed a 2% contraction for smartphones globally. North America saw a 5% drop in demand, while the figure was down by 2% in Western Europe. Manbang Group, operator of a market-leading mobile app that matches truck drivers with shippers, closed a funding round of $2 billion from a group of investors led by China Reform Fund and Japan's SoftBank. SoftBank's Vision Fund invested $1 billion, Saishin learned from Manbang. Other investors include Google parent Alphabet's Venture Capital Fund and a number of Manbang's existing backers, such as social media giant Tencent. Didi Chuxing currently has 90% of the rideshare market in China, but competitors are revving their engines. After a death race with other domestic players and a merger with Uber's China business, Didi crossed the finish line as China's undisputed ride-hailing leader in 2016. Investors and industry experts said the ride-hailing market still has low barriers to entry, where Didi has yet to work out a stable business model and those willing to burn cash can launch an attack. Second place in this race remains far behind the number one team, and the remainder of the field is tightening up even more. The number two car, a serious new Didi rival, is Meituan Dianping, the country's largest on-demand online service platform, which in March officially launched its ride-hailing service in Shanghai. The global Me Too movement gained a small victory in China after a prominent academic at the prestigious Shanghai Jiaotong University was removed from his post over alleged sexual harassment. Xie Yungeng, a deputy dean of the university's School of Media and Design, was found to have used inappropriate language and behavior in his contact with students, according to the school's dean. As a result, Xie will no longer serve as a deputy dean and has been suspended from his teaching position. But Xie remains an employee of the Shanghai Jiaotong University, which is one of China's top 10 universities. Xie is the latest in a growing list of male scholars who have faced accusations of sexual harassment as the Me Too movement attempts to take root in China's relatively conservative society, despite government wariness of mass movements. Speaking of sexism in China, let's bring in Caixin Global Managing Editor Doug Young to chat about this problem in the country's high-tech world. Uh, Doug, we're finally seeing action on sexual harassment in the universities. Is the time now coming for the tech companies to be called to account? Well, it's not harassment per se, but more about sexism and China's internet companies, um, specifically Human Rights Watch. The, the U.S. group put out a report basically criticizing the big three of China's internet companies, that would be Tencent, Alibaba, and Baidu, for posting sexist recruitment ads that sort of, they, they, they emphasize, you know, all the pretty girls in the office and ask, well, I don't think these particular ads did, but uh, they sometimes ask for, for a photo of you when you're applying for a job, that sort of thing. Um, and there were a few interesting examples they pointed out where like there's a testimonial of one guy saying oh I love coming to work because of all the pretty girls and that sort of thing or this is one of the benefits of having all these these beautiful women around and so on and so forth so uh anyhow Human Rights Watch put together this report and, and sort of called the companies on this and 
all three of them came out pretty apologetic, uh, said, you know, oh, this is not what we're all about. Um, you know, we are equal opportunity and so on and so forth. But, you know, it's, it's, it's been raising a few eyebrows and, and actually drawing attention to a, probably a very real problem in, in China's high-tech world. When it comes to women in work, China has always struck me as having an odd combination of, on the one hand, you know, real successes in some areas, and on the other hand, some areas that are just horrifically regressive. Uh, how about the tech world? I mean, I know from personal experience that there is an awful lot still wrong with the HR departments in, in tech, but are the internet companies really the worst offenders? Well, I think you hit on a good point. Is is this just an issue with the tech world or is this just an issue in general in China? China, mainland China especially, is progressive in some ways because uh, when the communists came in, they, they said, you know, men and women are equal and so on and so forth. But the bottom line is <clears throat> there's still quite a lot of objectification of women. And it's it's actually... I guess you could argue it's not specifically women, but anybody who's applied for jobs in China will know. And and I think for foreigners, they probably don't put this requirement. But when Chinese are applying for jobs, they're almost always asked to send a photo of themselves. Uh, they're often, when in job requirements, the job postings, it, if it's for a woman, it'll often say, must be at least 176 centimeters tall. Or, you know, they they put in like, Height requirements. I mean, come on. What does your height have to? You know, unless you're you're at a job where you have to reach for tall objects all the time. But obviously, that's not the case in these things. Um, you know, so they they want to see pictures of you. They want to know how tall you are. And and sometimes in even these job adverts, they'll say must have a pleasant face or something. You know, just something that would just be totally unheard of in the West. You know, and it's it's probably a cultural thing. I imagine you see this kind of thing in Japan and Korea and, and probably in Thailand, too. You know, just people aren't quite as progressive as they are in the West. Uh, they still see women as, you know, as something pleasing to look at, uh, at least the men do. And this is exacerbated in tech where it tends to be male-dominated, yeah? Yeah, in tech, it's probably especially poignant because tech, traditionally has been more of a man's realm, uh, just anything sciencey or, or technology. Uh, although the, these companies point out that, uh, or they say that, that something like 45% or 40, 45% of their workforce is, is women. Um, and I, actually, I believe that. But I think if you get up into the higher levels, you probably will discover, with the, with the one exception of, of CFOs, for some reason, a lot of these companies do have women CFOs and again, I think that's actually more of a gender bias. Uh, for some reason, Asian cultures seem to think women are better at math and better accountants and so forth. But with that uh, one exception, you really do see the, the top realms that a lot of these tech companies are, are mostly men. Well, we'll see whether this public call-out ends up having any kind of a good effect or a lasting effect, and, and let's keep our fingers crossed. Uh, meanwhile, you have a second story that you wanted to chat about, Yes. Uh, the second story is just Huawei. Uh, the, the story of, I think, probably a lot of listeners will know about ZTE. Uh, that's been in the headlines for pretty much the last couple of weeks now. Uh, this was a story about ZTE, was is basically one of these China high-tech champions, uh, one of their big high-tech superstars, and they were busted by the U.S. basically for buying U.S. products, high-tech products, mostly telecoms, 
and selling them to Iran. And, and at the time, the U.S. had sanctions saying U.S. companies could not sell their products to Iran. So this was basically a, a thinly veiled uh, sort of pass through, you know, basically, okay, you guys can't sell directly to Iran. We'll buy your stuff and sell it to Iran. So ZTE, or, or ZTE, sorry, uh, got busted for that. Uh, and that was in the news a couple of weeks ago. And now uh, we're just seeing that Huawei, which is actually a much higher higher profile company and, and much bigger than ZTE, uh, is apparently being investigated for the exact same thing. And uh, it hasn't. I mean, the rumors of this have actually popped in and out of the headlines for the last couple years, or actually more than that, last three, four years. But nothing has ever come out about this. But if if they end up coming out and saying Huawei is also guilty of this selling stuff to Iran, I think that'll probably be a, a bit of a bigger story because a lot of people do know Huawei, whereas ZTE is, is a bit of a smaller company. So let's say that happens and Huawei gets tarred with the same brush. Um, how big of a blow does this end up being for Huawei? So so right now, Huawei can't sell its products to the U.S. Or there's a lot of obstacles. This is actually sort of going at them from another side, which is basically cutting them off from their suppliers. Because the whole case with ZTE, what it exposed really is just how, you know, these companies, China likes to go on about how cutting edge Alibaba is, how cutting edge Huawei is. But this ZTE case is sort of exposed just how dependent these companies are on buying high-tech chips, uh, you know, circuit boards, uh, software, everything from the U.S. So they're, they're basically just taking all this high-tech stuff and, and assembling it into products in China. But in a, in a way, it, it, this, this case with ZTE showed that you know, they're still highly dependent on the U.S. And, and the West in general to get the components to make their stuff, the high-tech components. So this Huawei case would be the same way. It would cut them off from all their U.S. suppliers, which you know, could be devastating. I mean, they buy all of their cell phone chips from Qualcomm, which is a U.S. company. Uh, so they would suddenly be without smartphone chips. You know, that's that's like a huge loss. And I imagine their their telecoms uh, equipment business, which is their other big business, is probably also heavily dependent on U.S. suppliers, which is was the case with ZTE. So, you know, this could really be crippling for them. And and ZTE, when the case happened with them, said, you know, this is potentially life threatening for us uh, because. They don't have alternate suppliers for a lot of this stuff. So so it could be big. I think what will probably happen if they come out with something against Huawei is that they'll, they'll probably reach a settlement, which is what ZTE did originally. And the reason they were back in the headlines was because they were found guilty of not complying with all the terms of the settlement. Obviously, it's hard to make any predictions as to how this whole thing shakes out. But what's your gut sense for what we can expect to happen with Huawei? Well, I think a lot of this, you know, people keep asking, is this political because of the, the whole Trump trade war stuff? And I think the timing may be slightly political in the sense that I think Trump is trying to show China, hey, look, we hold a lot more of the cards in this than you do. And I think China realizes that, you know, these cases are sort of driving this home. So I don't think the U.S. intent is necessarily to, you know, put these Chinese companies out of business, um, which really doesn't benefit anybody. 
uh, even even the U.S. It would cause huge disruptions in the market if Huawei and ZTE were suddenly to not be able to sell their stuff. Um, so I, I do sort of see this as maybe the Trump administration trying to send some signals, you know, pressure China. But ultimately, I think if they come out with a guilty verdict against Huawei, which I do think is a strong possibility, they'll probably reach a, a settlement uh, just like they did with uh, ZTE. Well, thanks as always, Doug, and we will talk to you again soon, man. Okay. Thanks, Kaiser. And that's this week's show. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SubChina and is produced, recorded, and edited by Kaiser Guo with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin and Tanner Brown of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out our flagship current affairs show, Seneca, now in its ninth year, and watch the space for new upcoming podcast series announcements. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SubChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.